the mark of the beast. Is it a grand conspiracy, something Christians should be afraid of, or is it just a glorified blockbuster card? In this episode, I hope that we can figure that answer out. Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to encourage Christians to think biblically about every area of their lives so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, I want us to try to think biblically about the mark of the beast, that very fabled, very mysterious, very sensational thing that everyone seems to be talking about no matter what year it is. Now, this is, in a way, part two of my two-part series Last week, we talked about the Beast, or the Antichrist, and while that was its own kind of standalone episode, it was also laying the groundwork for this episode, because in that episode, I talked about how in order to understand the mark of the Beast, we need to understand the Beast who has a mark, and the more that we can understand him, his goals, his motives, and his general plan, the better we're going to be able to understand where this mark fits in all of that. So... As a recap from last week's episode, we saw through looking especially at Revelation 13 that this beast or this Antichrist, his primary desire in the world is worship. He wants to create this clear division between his people, which is the world, and Christ's people or Christians. And we saw that the world that that's going to exist in is not something at all like today where, you know, you can be a Christian, but it doesn't cost you much in, you know, many countries. You can live your Christian life and not have it impact you negatively in any way. And in a lot of ways, you can live like the rest of the world, except for maybe how your Sunday looks. And we saw that this world that's going to be present and going to be possible when this Antichrist comes on the scene, is not going to allow room for that. It's going to be a very clear choosing of sides. Either you stand for Christ and you accept that no matter where you go in the world, you're going to be persecuted, either through the risk of being imprisoned or even executed, or you live what seems to be the good life by worshiping this Antichrist, this heroic, godlike figure who calls for all the world to worship him, who is given power by Satan, which is called the dragon, and has this false prophet hanging around who is driving people to worship this beast, this Antichrist. And this false prophet, as we saw, is doing miracles and is basically there to drive people towards worship of this anti-Christ, this person who is 100% against Christ, and tells everyone that if you're going to worship me, if you're going to be on my side, you also have to be against Jesus Christ, because he's very blasphemous, and he is very, from all appearances, very outspoken on his thoughts on God. So kind of understanding that, just what this Antichrist is like and how really today we don't see anyone who we need to be labeling as the Antichrist, because we have some people who hate God, we have people who are you know, inviting people to worship them, but there is nothing like what we see in Revelation 13. But now what I want to talk about is something that is very important for it seems any age, but especially as social media and the internet connects us more and more, there is a tendency and an ease in which bad information can get spread. 
and people can get swept up in sensationalism or fear or conspiracies or just, you know, wild speculation. And when it comes to the mark of the beast, people are accusing everything of being the mark of the beast. I mean, for decades, you know, every new thing is the mark of the beast. You know, as tech has improved, we've seen things like barcodes or microchips being, you know, possibly the mark of the beast. We've seen maybe policies being some kind of mark of the beast. We've got people who make all these charts. We have people who get obsessed with numerology, which is the study of numbers and how, you know, this 666, how do we see this and in the modern world and things like that. Uh, you know, we have tons of failed predictions. And, you know, over the years, I just did a little bit of looking to see what pe people have been calling the mark of the beast over the years. And from just the quick bit that I found, people have thought that credit cards would be the mark of the beast because credit cards create a cashless society. Um, your credit score could also have been because your score would mark what kind of business you're able to do. Uh, cell phones, when they first came on the scene, a lot of people were kind of wary of them and even afraid of them. And they thought, you know, if you carry this around, this is the mark of the beast. And so Christians should avoid cell phones. And even today, we have people saying that taking a vaccine is taking the mark of the beast. And so you have people who are refusing on no other grounds or for no other reason than fearing that someone is trying to kind of slip them this mark of the beast without them knowing it. And so, you know, throughout history, we just see that people are afraid or or untrusting of new things or there's just things that they don't understand and so there's just this this fear in the back of their mind that well maybe this is the mark of the beast because I'm uncomfortable with it and as a Christian we tend to think that if we're uncomfortable with something there's a spiritual reason to it and so the kind of easy go-to is the mark of the beast and so what I really want to do with this episode is for us just to look biblically trying to avoid speculation trying to to put too much opinion out there, but just look biblically about what we know about the mark of the beast, what we should as Christians be mindful of and watching out for. And so I want us to see if it's possible at all for us to identify what the mark of the beast could be and be confident as we make that accusation or that assumption. I want to talk about if the mark of the beast is a danger to Christians. In other words, do we need to be constantly on guard if you know something is secretly the mark of the beast in disguise? And ultimately, I want to talk about whether the mark is even a threat. You know, is the mark the danger? Is it the enemy? Is it something we need to be afraid of? Or is it just part of something else? So that is going to be kind of the goal and the thrust of this episode. Um, I will, of course, say that, as always, I will link the original article that I wrote on this topic down in the show notes. Um, that might be more important than ever for people to remember because we are going to be going through a good chunk of scripture and I'm going to try to do it at a decent pace. Not so much that it's going to overwhelm people, but I'm, I don't want to dwell too much on it because what I'm trying to gather as we go through the book of Revelation is just a bigger picture of what is it that we are seeing and how can we better understand the mark of the beast based on what we see through John's prophecies throughout the book of Revelation. So that being said... Before we even get to the book, um, I actually want us to go to the Old Testament. And I want us to see, before we talk about this mark of the beast, I want us to look at what God called Israel to do. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, we are going to see that God is calling his people to outright devotion to him and clear worship in every area of their lives. 
So it says, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So let's just pause here. Again, God is making a clear call to Israel to love and worship him, to talk about him, to think about him. Basically, every moment of their day, if you go back and read that, there's really not a time where Israel should not be thinking about God, being devoted to him with their lives, with their conversations, and with their minds. And then he's going to go on and make another clear call for their devotion and their worship to him. It says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So there is a significance here, and if you're familiar with the Mark of the Beast, you're going to know where I'm going with this. But God, in the midst of all of this, and as he's calling for people to loyalty and devotion and worship, he tells them to put his law on the back of their hand and between their eyes or on their forehead. Now, we could get into the nitty-gritty of why those specific places, and I know people like to kind of you know, make some assumptions on why, but overall, whatever God's purpose is for those specific spots, his goal, the tone of this, is that a person's daily life, everything about them, their hopes, their comfort, their desires, everything should be wound and bound up in who God is. It should impact every moment of their daily lives because God is calling for an absolute, unrestrained, and uncompromised devotion and loyalty to their God, whom they love and who they worship. So keeping that picture in mind, that God calls for the the back of the hand and their forehead to be a part of this worship, whether literal, whether metaphorical, God is calling for those locations on their body to carry his law, not because there's anything magical about it, but because it's part of this call to devotion and worship. Let's now talk about the mark of the beast. Because what I think we're going to see is that the mark is ultimately nothing more than just another perversion of God's perfection. So we talked last time about how Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet are, in a sense, kind of dark reflections of the Holy Trinity. We also see that the Antichrist is calling for a a twisted and imperfect worship of people. He is calling for people to worship a man— and not God. He is calling for people to treat an individual who is not Jesus Christ as though this person is their Savior, this person is their only hope, this person deserves their love and worship and loyalty. And so when we left off last time, we talked about how this false prophet was going to be performing signs and wonders and miracles, driving people to worship this Antichrist, and he was going to be given power to do so. And so we're just going to pick right back up in Revelation chapter 13 and now verse 16. And it says, And it also causes all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. And now that should really stand out to us, especially with what we just read in Deuteronomy, that this false prophet is going to cause people who worship this beast to be marked on the back of their hand and on their forehead. It's going to be an option. It's going to be a a thing that people are choosing to do out of their worship and devotion and loyalty to the Antichrist, just like Israel was called to choose that because they worshiped God, they should show that loyalty. They should take part in what God is calling them to, to show the absoluteness 
of what they believed. And so this mark of the beast we're seeing is going to be really nothing more than a an evidence of their loyalty and of their devotion. And now what will this mark be? Ultimately, we don't know. Um, I do want to jump ahead. There's not a good place to talk about the number 666, but um, let's just um, pause here. And we just read verse 16, but let's go ahead and uh, skip a verse and jump to verse 18. It says, This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So throughout the Bible, we see that God regularly uses the number seven to imply either you know a, a number that represents God or just a number that represents perfection. Likewise, we see that the number six represents imperfection or it even represents mankind. So we see that um, in terms of imperfection, God finished his creation on the sixth day, but it wasn't complete until he rested on the seventh. We see that mankind was made on the sixth day of the week. So whatever implication this number six has for the Antichrist, he adopts the number 666. Now, this might not be a literal number of 666. You see a lot of people in, you know, kind of the, in a broad term, the rock and roll crowd. I know not all rock and rollers are into this, but, you know, people in the rock and roll crowd or the heavy metal, you know, you'll see them tattoo 666 on their foreheads as though that's some kind of, you know, anti-God thing that they're doing because they assume, you know, there's this assumption in our culture that, oh, it's literally you're going to have 666 written on your forehead. Well, maybe, but this might not be a literal thing. This might just be a call that whatever this mark is, it's not going to be a mark of loyalty to something perfect like we saw in Deuteronomy, but instead, as John says, that this is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So it's almost potentially carrying this idea of settling for less than worshiping the perfect and worshiping the ultimate. Instead, people are going to be worshiping something imperfect and unable to save them or to give them what they want, because as with everything in life, whatever we worship that is not God is going to fail us, because nothing is meant to replace God in our lives. And not only that, but nothing can replace him in terms of worshiping the one who can never fail, who is who is perfect. Nothing else can replace that. And so that might be all this mark is is indicating when it talks about 666 is just kind of the implication of it. It could also be literal. It could literally have something to do with the number 666. Ultimately, I don't think we know. I don't think we can say with absolute authority what this is implying here, because it is, if we're being honest, a difficult thing. It just kind of comes out of nowhere with this number. But I just want to say that whatever it is, the number 666 itself is not scary. As Christians, we don't need to be superstitious, um, you know, on a on a Facebook post or a YouTube video when something has 666 likes. We don't want to either add one or remove one to avoid the number 666. You know, we are not people who are called to be superstitious or scared of numbers or adding some kind of weird mystical component or bad luck or, you know, anything that we see in kind of, you know, mysticism or witchcraft where a number is actually going to get us. You know, as, as Christians, we need to be more mature than that, more mindful and more reasonable than to be afraid of a series of three numbers that repeat themselves. So getting back kind of on our main 
course of thought and and the the driving point of this episode. Um, let's now uh, go back. So we we left off with Revelation verse sixteen, which, which talked about how everyone, great and poor, or uh, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, they would be marked by this false prophet on their right hand or their forehead. Again, it's these people who are choosing to worship the beast. It is a sign of that worship. And so if we pick up at verse 17, following what happens after these people are marked, it says, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. So here we see where a lot of people get this idea of you know, credit cards or even, you know, passports and things like that. You know, there is some kind of thing about the mark of the beast that allows us to do commerce in the world. But what's going to get interesting here and where we as Christians want to really pay attention to when we're trying to identify the mark today is that this doesn't appear at all to be something that we can accidentally take. The mark of the beast is only something that can be taken by people who worship the beast. This is ultimately nothing more than a a you know loyalty rewards program card or something you know it's a it's a membership card saying i worship the beast i outright reject god just as he does i hate christians just like he does now can i buy a bag of potato chips that's ultimately what this is going to let people do in the world is to reject god reject christians reject everything that is true and worship this beast and in exchange this person that they look to to save them or that they they view as having great power is going to allow them to live what is effectively for a time a normal life so as christians as we're really launching into this discussion about what we are seeing about those who take the mark of the beast i just really want to lay this groundwork that we don't need to fear the mark of the beast. We don't need to get wrapped up in these conspiracies about someone who is, you know, rich or powerful or the government is trying to slip us, you know, on the sly this, you know, mark of the beast in anything, you know, whether it's banking, whether it's, you know, medicine, anything. We're going to see that Christians are incapable, 100% incapable of taking the mark of the beast. And because of that, Logically, we have to conclude that if Christians have done something, whether it's Christians carrying phones, whether it's them receiving certain medications, if true followers of Jesus Christ can do something, and especially if they have done something, then we know that cannot be the mark of the beast. Because as we're going to see, everyone who takes the mark of the beast hates Christ and worships the beast. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So now as we kind of leave off here and see, you know, the bar, the mark itself seems to be just about money. But we're going to kind of go on and we're going to go quickly through the rest of Revelation and we're going to see how this mark gets brought up and what it's really indicating. And like I said, part of it is that it allows people to to function in a world controlled by the Antichrist. Yes, it is to a degree about money, but what it's really about is worship and loyalty. And we're going to see just what that's going to play out like throughout the course of this book. So as we uh, finish up Revelation 13 and we go into Revelation chapter 14, uh, as you read it, this can be kind of a weird read. So I would encourage you to, to pause and just kind of read it for yourself. But what we see as things are happening is that there are three angels who come on the scene. One of them is proclaiming the gospel. The other one is announcing the fall of Babylon. Now, Babylon 
quickly stated, is a wicked nation or a wicked government, something that is just pure evil. And this angel is announcing the downfall of it. Now, a third angel comes, and he basically announces not only the downfall of a nation, but a judgment on those individuals. And so we're going to see what individuals are going to have judgment placed upon them. And so we're going to pick up here in Revelation chapter 14, and this will be verses 9 through 12. It says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So here, what we're ultimately going to see in a very zoomed out view is that we have two groups here. We have those who are marked by the beast, And we know that everyone who worships the beast is marked, and everyone who is marked by the beast is someone who worships them. They are are two sides of the same coin, effectively. You can't worship the beast and not receive the mark, because that would be stupid. And you can't receive the mark of the beast unless you worship it. And remember, this isn't this kind of like weird worship like we worship celebrities. It's literally a world, as we talked about last time, where it is clear you are worshiping the beast in replacement of God. No Christian is going to receive the mark of the beast because no Christian can worship this beast. But we see that the fate of those who are marked have God's wrath upon them. And we see that their ultimate end is going to be the same as the beast and the false prophet, and that is the lake of fire. But then we see this other group. We see those who are not marked, and that's where he calls for endurance of the saints. In other words, keep going, stay strong, keep, keep moving onward in your faith. Don't give up and don't lose hope and don't think that Jesus has lost. And again, another evidence we have of why I, I keep insisting that Christians don't need to fear accidentally receiving the mark of the beast is that if you have the mark of the beast, God's wrath is upon you. We read that uh, you know, in the, in the very first part of that Revelation 14 passage that we read. It says, if anyone worships the beast and receives the mark, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured in full strength. So we know if you have the mark, you also get with it as a nice little be- benefit, God's you know, enduring wrath. So why don't Christians need to be afraid of this? Because we know that there is no wrath on those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, the wrath of God is not on us. We don't need to fear. And so nothing about the Christian life can, can be met with God's wrath. And so again, I say that's why Christians just don't need to be afraid of the mark because to have the mark is to have God's wrath. And Christians just, we are incapable. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't work. And we can see that God's wrath isn't just on these people in terms of their eternal destiny and when they stand before judgment, but we see how God's wrath plays out while they're still alive. So if we go to Revelation chapter 16 and verse 2, we see something else going on with everyone that has the mark of the beast. 
So it says, So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So again, those Christians who are alive at that time won't be stricken with these these nasty sores because they won't have the mark of the beast because they do not worship the beast. They worship Jesus Christ. And again, if we keep going through Revelation and we jump up one chapter to Revelation chapter 17 and verse 8, we are reminded once again who it is that worships the beast. It's not this thing that Christians are going to accidentally do. So it says... The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. So super confusing Dr. Seuss style of of writing there. But what this is saying is that the dwellers on the earth, in other words, those whose kingdom is on earth, those whose identity and citizenship is found on earth because it's not found in heaven. They're the ones whose names have not been written in the book of life. And they're the ones who are going to marvel at the beast and worship it. So in other words, again, we as Christians are not considered dwellers on the earth. We are in the earth, but we're not of the earth. We aren't a part of this world. We're just, we're passers-by. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ to a foreign world that doesn't know him. And so we are not lumped in with his dwellers on the earth because, and it's further clarified, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And that is going to be huge as we move on through Revelation. But we have to remember that only Christians have their names written in the Lamb's book of life, and only those whose names are in that book are spared from God's wrath. And so as we kind of keep moving through Revelation, we see that those who are marked, as well as the Antichrist, are in open war against God. And these events in Revelation, the world that we've seen, the one that has risen up under the power and authority of the Antichrist, the one who has, you know, he is the one who has gathered all these worshipers to him and has set the world as basically, you choose God or you choose not God. And there is no in-between, there is no neutrality here. We find ourselves, as we get towards the end of chapter 18, um, looking at an impending battle. And we see that it is the followers of God and and Jesus Christ warring against the followers of the Antichrist. And so it says in Revelation chapter 18, verses 17 to 18, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds flying directly overhead, Come! Gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both freed and slave, both small and great. And now, again, if you remember the one of the first the first verse that we read in Revelation at the at the top of this episode was Revelation thirteen sixteen, which talked about how everyone, free and slave, small and great, rich and poor, they would be the ones who would receive the mark of the beast. Everyone who dwelled on the earth, no matter your status, no matter where you were or what you did, if you did not have citizenship in heaven, you're going to worship this beast and receive his mark. And we see that this angel is telling the birds that there's going to be a giant buffet for them to feast on. And it's going to consist of all these people on earth, free and slave, small and great. In other words, everyone that took the mark of the beast is is going to be slain. And this angel is, is telling us what is about to happen. And so we find ourselves now 
through, you know, all this, this kind of future history that is playing out for John. And as he's uh, relating it to us, we see that this whole world has been winding down and growing more and more hostile to God and becoming more and more divided and in a way tribal where it's very much us versus them to the degree that, that everyone that is a Christian is hated, not just not liked, not just annoyed by, but literally everyone in the world hates every Christian who is there and they hate Jesus Christ, who people are seeing is a literal figure now. It's not just this idea. It's not just this you know, weirdly painted artwork or anything like that. They know that Jesus is real, but they have set themselves against him. And so then as we continue on and we jump to Revelation chapter 19 and verses 19 to 21, we get to see Jesus Christ's inevitable victory. And this is part of what makes Revelation so beautiful. You know, I know we can easily get swept up in the mystery and the uniqueness and the speculations, but this is part of what makes Revelation such an important book and so amazing to study because we see that Jesus Christ is the victor of everything. And so it says, Revelation chapter 19, verses 19 to 21, And I saw the beast and the kings of earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. Now, if you had read Revelation 19 or Revelation up till now, you know that this, this person on the horse is Jesus Christ. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on a horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So it took a whole chapter, but you know the, the birds finally got to eat their fill. Um, and we what we see here, though... In, in no pretty picture is that this, this Antichrist and this false prophet are defeated and thrown into the lake of fire that burns forever. And we also see that all those who rose up against Jesus Christ, everyone who said, I will not worship God, I hate God, I love this Antichrist, this is my God. All Christians are you know deserving of imprisonment and death. I would die rather than worship Jesus Christ. They get their wish because it says all those who worship the beast are slain by Christ in this moment. And so this is not the final battle of Revelation, but this is the final battle of kind of the world as we see it. All of God's enemies on earth are removed. All that it remains is Jesus Christ and those who worship and follow him. And this is where we get to what is called the millennial reign or where Christ reigns for 1000 years. Now, Happy story, right? Just tie it up, call it a day. Well, no, because in Revelation 20, we have one final battle. Now, so beyond the scope of this article or this episode, but what we see is that this is Satan's final defeat. So there's one final battle. Satan rallies everyone who had been born during this thousand year reign who did not worship Christ. So, you know, it's not a, a perfect, sinless world yet. Those who are born to the saints you know, still can choose not to worship Christ. And so Satan comes, he rallies everyone. There's one final push against the kingdom of God and Satan loses. And at the end of all this, we see the resurrection of the dead. We see the final judgment. And here, if you remember a little bit ago, I told you that it's so key when it talks about how all those who are marked are not written in the Lamb's book of life. 
Here's where this is so key. So Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So again, this wraps up everything I've been saying about why Christians don't need to fear accidentally taking the mark. Because remember, those who dwell on the earth will worship the beast and take his mark. Everyone who worships the beast and everyone who takes his mark are not written in the book of life. They will not get an eternity with Jesus Christ because of what they chose to worship, whether it's while they were alive on earth and then died, or whether it's they literally chose to worship the Antichrist. Everyone who chooses to reject God and, and what he has revealed about himself, about his law that's on our hearts, their eternity is the lake of fire. And so as Christians, we have some things that we need to really think through and ask ourselves about this, even beyond just the, the seriousness of making sure that we are truly in Christ, making sure that we know for a fact that our faith is built on Jesus Christ and, and nothing less. Here's some questions that we want to ask ourselves as, again, we've taken kind of a, a very quick walk through Revelation and highlighted what it looks like with the mark of the beast, who it belongs to, and what their lives are going to be like and what their eternal destiny is. First thing we need to ask is, is the mark of the beast in the world today? Well, last episode, I talked about how we don't even see the Antichrist in the world today because we don't see a world that is clearly divided. We don't see an individual who is demanding worship and not just, hey, follow me on Instagram, but literally someone who is demanding that people worship him as a god. We don't see a false prophet who is on the scene performing miracles and signs that drive people to worship this Antichrist. And because we don't see that, we don't see in the last part of Revelation 13 where this false prophet who is driving people to worship this Antichrist, who is calling people to worship him in outright and very clearly stated rebellion against God, we don't see this false prophet around to give people the mark of the beast. And so if we don't have an obvious beast on the scene, if we don't have a false prophet driving worship to him, then we just can't have a mark because... Just the, the logical sequence of events that we've gone through demand that we, we have all this take place before we even need to worry about the mark of the beast. And again, and I want to reiterate what I said at the end of the last episode, Christians aren't going to wonder. There's not going to be, we're not going to have bickering. We're not going to have these vague guesses. We're not just going to say, oh, I don't like this, this politician or this celebrity or this rock star, whatever. They must be the Antichrist. No, every Christian is going to clearly unequivocally, without doubt, know for a fact that the Antichrist is on the scene because it will literally be that clear. He is going to be so blatant and so blunt about his blasphemy against God and his demand that he be worshipped instead of God that no Christian's going to be like, oh, well, maybe, I don't know, because we're going to die if we don't worship him. I mean, it's, it's literally that straightforward that we see. So we can clearly reason out that there just can't be a mark of the beast in the world today. So on one hand, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of some new technology or new gadget or new policy or whatever. We don't need to be afraid of something accidentally slipping in because there's just no mark today. But not only that, Christians in general, even when we know who the Antichrist is, even when we know what the false prophet is up to, and even when we know the mark that that false prophet is putting on people— Christians still don't need to be afraid because, practically speaking, a follower of Jesus Christ cannot be tricked, 
bamboozled, or hoodwinked into taking the mark. I said earlier, if a Christian has something, it cannot be the mark of the beast. Your credit card, your credit score, cell phones, a tattoo that you got when you were younger and made a really bad decision to get 666 tattooed somewhere, a vaccine, none of these things can possibly be the mark of the beast because at least one Christian in the world has these things. And if that is the case, then God's wrath has to be on that Christian. And if God's wrath is on that Christian because they have the mark of the beast, then Jesus Christ's death was not sufficient to remove the wrath of God from them forever because his death was perfect. This is why this is an important conversation. Not because it's, you know, interesting to kind of puzzle through revelation, but literally when Christians are saying that others have taken the mark of the beast, they are either saying that a that that so-called Christians who have taken it are not saved or that accidentally taking something you know, or, or owning something or whatever it is can strip the atonement of Jesus Christ from them and that God's wrath can be put back on them because his death was not enough. If we're going to go around and just you know, wildly speculate and just accuse everything of being the mark of the beast, it's not just a bad idea. We are nullifying the power of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection and the sufficiency of that to pay for our sin. Because if you have the mark of the beast, you are not saved. You are not spared from the wrath of God because God's wrath is going to be on you. So I don't know. Is, is it clear enough now? I mean, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but this is something that Christians have got to get. We can't just go around not knowing what the mark of the beast is and just accusing things that we don't like of being the mark or a person we don't like of being the Antichrist. There is so much more at stake in this world that we're seeing, and we are handling God's word irresponsibly when we go just pointing fingers left and right. Because what we've seen here is that the mark of the beast isn't something that we should be afraid of. In general, the mark isn't the enemy. The mark isn't this thing that's out to get us. The mark of the beast is simply a membership card. It's a sign of allegiance. It is how he will gather his worshipers to him. It's how he will clearly delineate, are you with me or are you against me? There will be no doubt in the mind of Christians what the mark is, and there will be no doubt for the Antichrist and his worshipers who is on his side and who is on God's side. So let's wrap this up a little nicer. So what can we do today? How should we think about the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, or just the book of Revelation in general? The first thing we need to do is that we have got to reject fear, sensationalism, or unbiblical interpretations. We have to stand against our natural desire to align with our group or to make you know, the other team, the other side of the political aisle, people we don't like, things we don't understand, whatever we're accusing of being the Antichrist or the mark of the beast, we have to reject the desire to be able to paint people in this very evil, wicked image to make ourselves feel better. If you don't like someone, if you don't like something, fine, but don't use God's word so lazily and so and so dangerously that we are making God's word say something it doesn't say and having very dangerous ramifications for what it means for what we think is true. So, and as God's people, as those who love Jesus Christ, we also want to make sure that we are calling out and rejecting those who are promoting those things. We need to, 
you know, I, I have an episode about conspiracy theories that I would encourage you to listen to if you want to know why conspiracy theories are so unbiblical and so ungodly. But we need to call people out who are taking the book of Revelation and, and forming it and misinterpreting it in a way just to feed their own beliefs or their own agenda. And we have to call out Christians lovingly. We have to call out Christians who are getting swept up in that stuff and are forgetting what our call is and how it is that we truly study God's word to understand things like what we see in the book of Revelation. You know, we're not going to get a perfect understanding, but I hope what I've shown in these last two episodes is that there are things we can know with certainty and with clarity. But when we get swept up in all the hype and all the media and all the, you know, conspiracies, that is taking away from the power of God's word in our lives. Now, another thing that we want to pay attention to as we finish up this conversation is that several times throughout the book of Revelation, there is a reminder, a call for the saints, for God's people to endure, to stay strong in their faith. And so the honest question to ask ourselves, can your faith endure? If things, you know, sped up, rapid pace, and you know, Christians are around for, or, or we as Christians today are around for the rise of the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. Is your faith in a place where it could endure everything that this world is going to look like? The impossibility of living a normal life if you choose to worship Jesus Christ. Do we have, on an individual level, do you, do I have a faith that could endure that? Do we know Jesus Christ? Do we live a life that is so modeled after following him that it wouldn't be much of a difference for us to have people hate us? Or do we have a faith where we, you know, kind of worship God, but the life of a Christian who can endure what we see in Revelation is not anywhere close to where we are? So just ask yourself, is your faith reasonable? Can you honestly think through the world in such a way that you can understand the things of God and how we're supposed to live our life? Is your faith biblical? And is your life solely devoted to Jesus Christ? Or would having to make that clear choice between worshiping what the world loves and worshiping Christ be incredibly difficult? Or the hardest question, if someone had to look at our lives now, would they suspect that we would align with the Antichrist or would they expect that we would align with Jesus Christ? You know, how much of our life today, when we have it easy, relatively speaking, depending on where you are in the world, but I assume if you're able to listen to this episode, you are in a place that is not completely um, against Christ. But, you know, is the life on an individual level, you as the listener, me as the, the speaker, are our individual lives such that it's obvious which side we would fall on if we had to pick a team? And is that faith not only built into ourselves, do, we, do not only we have an enduring faith, but are we teaching our family, our children, are we building into them a faith that can endure? Are we giving them a reason not to align with an antichrist who says, hey, your life can be so much easier if you just worship me, and it can be so bad if you choose to worship Christ? Is our family prepared for that? Because, like I said, I'm not sure that those of us who are, are you know, full-blown adults today, I don't know that we're going to see the Antichrist come on the scene based on the world that has to be in existence then. And so, assuming that we're not, is our family ready to endure? Are they prepared to teach their children and their grandchildren to endure? And then not only that, are we building into our local church a kind of 
endurance where we know that we can come together as a community and we are surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ locally, you know, at a local level where we would be willing to link arm in arm, walking willingly to imprisonment or walking willingly to our deaths because all of us know who we worship and who we will stand for. Now, this is why local church is so critical because, you know, things like this, I mean, you know, what we see in Revelation is a kind of, you know, explosion of what life is like to choose Christ or the world. But really, this is where the local church is so important because they strengthen us. They give us community. We, as as human beings, are made to exist in community. And our local church is so critical to that. That's why we want to, you know, respect and surrender to the authority of our elders as long as they are staying biblical, understanding that they are imperfect. That's why we want to invest in relationships with other believers. That's why we want to be involved in at least one side of discipleship, either us being under a mature Christian who is helping us build an enduring, reasonable, and biblical faith that's devoted to Christ, or us being able to be that person to a younger, more immature believer. And then the final takeaway that I want us to have from this as we close out our discussion on the Antichrist, what he's going to look like, what the world's going to look like, the mark of the beast, what that really is going to be, what it can't be, and how we as Christians should think about it. I want us to just close this with maybe the most beautiful thought we can have, and that is that we can see all of this and just rejoice in Jesus Christ. Because for as dark as everything looks, for as wrong as maybe we've been in how we've thought about things like Revelation, for all the mistakes we've made, for all the failures we have, for all the ways that we are weak in our faith, we also know that through Jesus Christ, we can look to the future with hope, knowing that our Savior's victory over sin and darkness is never in doubt. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.